With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here's Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. Good morning. Welcome in once again. Miller and Condon on the air with you. Back at it on a Wednesday. Wednesday means David Kaplan. David Kaplan from NBC Sports Chicago and ESPN 1000. He will be with us as he is seemingly each and every Wednesday throughout the calendar year. He's going to be stopping by here at about 11.20. We'll get into the Chicago Bears, some of the moves that they've been making in free agency, quarterbacks. Uh, that'll be a conversation as well. That's coming your way with David Kaplan and a great story that uh, he had golfing with Michael Jordan. We'll talk about that as he was uh, had that on Periscope last night at 11.20 on the BMW of Des Moines guest list. 11 o'clock, we're going to be talking a lot of NFL on the national scale. Tad Haslip from the Sporting News will be my guest. We'll get into it with Tad at 11 o'clock. And today, it is time for our deep dive into the 2002 Iowa football team. Each and every day, we're going to be looking back at the great teams from the state of Iowa throughout the last 30, 40, 50, 60, however long it takes to get back and talk about the great teams. But my favorite team, certainly of Iowa football, is the 2002 Iowa football team. Undefeated in the Big Ten, 8-0, 11-1 in the regular season. A trip to the Orange Bowl, one of my favorite trips I've ever taken. Just absolutely incredible. And we're going to talk about that squad and run through each and every one of those games. Bring you some highlights and have a little bit of fun. That's coming your way here at 1030. Go out to the phones right now. Ken Miller joins us as he does at the top of each program here for the foreseeable future. Ken, 2002, the Iowa football team. That is where we're going to be diving here today. Yeah, I'm anxious to know if you went back and watched the Orange Bowl because I know you were there, but I also know from listening to you over the years and you and your buddies, you missed the game. You're actually at the game, but you missed the game. Uh, you saw you saw the opening kiss. It kind of went downhill after that, so you saw the good part. But, uh, yeah, you've told me about some of your stories uh, for that one. But the team itself, Trent, uh, a couple of things that stuck, stick out to me still. Uh, I mean, the Cyhawk game was was unbelievable. Uh, that was their only blemish during the uh, regular season. The overtime win when I thought they were going to cough it up in the fourth quarter against Penn State. And the fact that they didn't go to the Rose Bowl, I mean, that selfishly stuck with me because, as I've told you, meant for, you know, for many years, that was the one thing I wanted to do in all of this, right? I wanted to cover a Rose Bowl. And I thought 2002 was setting up perfectly for that to happen. But as we know, it didn't uh, as they went to the Orange Bowl. Ohio State. Do you remember that? Was it Washington State? Washington State was the champion of the Pac-12, and Oklahoma, in fact, uh, played them in that Rose Bowl game. That is season. that what it was? Okay. Yep, it was. But anyway, uh, so the, the yeah, so we didn't get the we didn't get that uh, bucket list item scratched off, and of course, obviously, we would down the road, and I'm assuming we'll get to the 2015 Hawkeye football team uh, at some point here in the uh, in the days slash weeks to come, but. The guys on that team, Trent, I mean, whether it be Sanders, whether it be Clark or Banks or, you know, you go all across that offensive line for the most part. They had some guys on defense, clearly. 
uh, that could play a whole lot. Um, Sean Considine, right, was on that team. Of course he was. And then the freshmen that were sitting out waiting for their turn. Have you seen that list? No, I haven't. Uh, Greenway? Yeah. Uh, Abdul Hodge? Jeez. Uh, all part of that football team and, 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 and redshirted that there offensively. I think uh, Ference was on that team. Um, yeah, just some of the guys that were waiting their turn uh, standing on the sidelines as, as redshirts. Uh, so, uh, Derek Pagel was on that yep. team. I told oh, you about Derek. Javon Johnson, Grant Steen. Yep. Javon Johnson just retired, by the way. He was up in Canada since he graduated. Wow. And just, I think within the last month, Trent, uh, he just announced his retirement. Played in Winnipeg for a long time. I'm not sure if he finished there or not, but yeah, he made a, I mean, you don't get rich playing mm-hmm. in the CFL, but you know, you get to play a kid's game, a game that you always played. And I think within the last month, he just uh, I just retired from the game of football. Yeah, uh, also a, a part of that season that jumps out, Aaron Greving. Do you remember right before the Michigan game, he quit the team? Yes. Is he from Ames? He is from Ames. And yeah, yeah, he was right. the one that was tackled in the end zone as things were collapsing in the second half against Iowa State for the safety. He was the guy that ran the football there. It wasn't Fred Russell. It wasn't Jermel Lewis. It was Aaron Greving. And, of course... Well, you know yeah, how, how about those running backs? Sorry to interrupt you, but go ahead. I, and of course, the theory that was out there. Oh, look at this! The Ames guy, as things are uh, collapsing, uh, he's the one that can't get out of the end zone, and he actually went uh, backwards. As I watched that, watched a lot of that game last night, and I uh, saw that play. Uh, it, it's fun to dive into it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But we do have news, and what we have news in the sports world, Ken, we got to tackle it. We talked yesterday about the NFL, about the decision Tom Brady at the time when we talked. 24 hours ago it was, Mm -hmm. he was not going to be with New England. I told you the odds-on favorite, at least in the betting world, was that it was going to be Tampa Bay. And then by Mm -hmm. late afternoon, early evening, the destination was known that he was going to be signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They superimposed him in a Buccaneers jersey. You know I'm a uniform guy. Boy, did that look, it just looked awful. It just looked terrible. It really doesn't it? It it really and truly does. Yeah, Colin Cowherd, I think, was the first one to have that. I don't know if you know, he was throwing stuff up against the wall and hoping if it would stick. And if it didn't, nobody would remember that he got it wrong. But the fact that uh, I, I want to say he was the first one uh, that came out and said that uh, he's um, he got some a tip or whatever source that says he's going to sign with Tampa Bay. But I guess a lot of things went into it. At, at the end of the day, he wanted the East Coast more than the West Coast, so good for him. I thought the West Coast made, made more sense. California kid spent a whole bunch of money or invested a whole bunch of money on that production company, that movie production company. So I would have bet the Chargers yesterday uh, and come up short. Speaking of betting, you see uh, Bovada, one of the offshore sites, is actually allowing you to bet on weather. <laughs> no Honest way. to God. Yeah, a, a true story. Um, you know who tweeted that this morning? You know, he wrote about it. One of our regular guests during college football and Bill Bender from the Sporting News who – you know, like a lot of guys, nothing to cover. So mm-hmm. Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register, Sports Forever, he was out in about yesterday in the uh, in the Des Moines area as they try and you know fill column inches and and when there's no sports to write about. But yeah, Bill Bender, I think it might be online this morning. Actually, wrote a piece that Bavada is is putting out over unders for how hot it will get in some respective cities, and he can actually wager on that. That's what it's come to. I've, uh, I'm on Bovada right now. That was one of the offshore accounts I had back in the day before legalized wagering here. 
They have table tennis up, virtual sports, yeah. of course, horse <laughs> racing and greyhound racing out there. Yeah. The Moon Valley Classic, which is a golf tournament. I don't know where, where? Moon Valley. It looks like a women's women's tournament. Amy Olson I guess is it's your favorite. Moon Valley is my guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. Good call there. And so there's things out there. If you're sick, now I'm not that sick. Like I, I've been fine. I've I've not been wagering on Turkish basketball and and uh, what was it? Singapore uh, soccer, I think, is is another thing that I saw. I have not had to get action down on that one. And probably in, in the grand scheme of things, that's a good thing to know that I don't have to get down that badly, that I'm betting at things that I have absolutely no clue. No, no doubt about it. I mean, I know you follow uh, Michael Loss on Twitter, mm-hmm. which is I do, and yesterday he's tweeting about horse races at Fairmont Park, which is a complete dump just outside of St. Louis. <laughs> and he's making his picks, and then he's posting the result of the race. I mean, people are, you know, look, we're, we're all in the same boat, right? Yeah. Just do whatever it takes to get you through the day, and then the next day, and the next day, and... Uh, sooner or later, hopefully, we'll be able to, you know, see the light at the end of that tunnel. But that's what has come through Trent, and you know what? We'll, we'll make the best of us, and we'll get through it. Tom Brady, a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he certainly has wide receivers along with him. He's got yeah. tight ends. The offensive line is a concern, and for a guy that still gets the ball out very quickly, last season it was not nearly as quick as it had been the seasons previous, though, of getting the ball out with an offensive line that struggles like that, that has to be the concern. He's got elite wide receivers on each side of him. That's going to go a long way. But that offensive line, I don't know. And I haven't seen anything on the cap numbers for Tampa, what else they're going to be able to do now after signing Brady here. But that's got to be at the top of their list. Come NFL draft, understanding they have to have some kind of protection for Brady. As good as he can be, even if last season was a step back, he has to have time. He does, and, and, and I think your your first point probably is going to go a long way to solving that, and, and that's uh, Godwin and O.J. Howard and, and Mike Evans, and he's got three, you know, three terrific weapons because I think Howard's going to continue uh, his development and is going to be listed amongst the games. But he's, I don't think he's going to be, you know, Kelsey or Kittle or any of those two yet. Uh, but I think he's going to be a good player. Yeah, the offensive line is a concern, but I don't think it was statistically as bad as maybe, you know, some remember it was. Uh, it was kind of like New England's last year. I think that they graded out um, relatively close. But you're right. Here's, here's the thing he's got going for him. He, he's Bruce Arians' offense, um, and and Brady's going to have one of those chips on his shoulder, right? And um, You know, did you see this, by the way? I was anxious. I, I thought you might chime in. Uh, Bama Bob put the over-under on mm. Tampa Bay at 8.5 next year. And you look at the slate of games, Trent. Boy, oh boy, Tampa. I mean, we, we obviously we get the division, but outside division, they host Green Bay, they host Kansas City, they host Minnesota, they host the Chargers and the Rams, and then on the road, uh, other than the division, they go to the Bears, to Broncos, to Lions, to Raiders, to Giants. Hmm. Won seven football games last year. Uh, I do like their weapons. Defense, defenses, you know, that, that's where I think the question marks are. But eight and a half seems like a pretty good number, and I think a number that would really get a lot of two-way action. I mean, they're going to overbet right, mm-hmm. because it's Tom Brady, and you just assume that he's worth a couple of wins uh, over Jameis Winston. <laughs> Wouldn't it be crazy if he ended up in New England? Um <laughs> which could happen, I guess, because they need a quarterback, too, because I'm not sure the former Baylor-Auburn signal caller, Jerem Stidham, is the answer, but who knows? We've got you know, uh, Josh McBlunder and Bill Belichick and 
If they can turn somebody around, maybe they will. Uh, but eight and a half is a pretty good number. Where we, where do you fall at first blush? I, at first blush, I would certainly be on the under at that number, and I think that's what it's going to be. I know there's still some markets out there that had it at eight. That's where it was before the Brady news. I saw the juice, though, had moved to minus 145. That was last night when I saw that uh, tweet come across. So the casino, and I can't remember what the property was that had it, had it at eight before the season and before any of the moves here. And they were just moving juice at this point. And that's another part of it, too, for the people that already, the casinos that already have a number out there, they just don't want to get middle. They don't want to get middled on something right. like this. And that's the reason you're going to see that juice. A lot of times, we get to the right before, you know, into August and early September with these NFL over-unders, you're seeing juice at like minus 180, minus 185. And then, of course, the plus side on the other, it can fluctuate huge just because they don't want to move off their initial number. You know, I need to nail right on the head, Trent. You're 100% right. They don't want to get middled on this thing. You know, speaking of the casinos, have you seen any video of the Strip no. in Las Vegas? Uh-uh. Trent, it's a ghost town. There's no traffic on Las Vegas Boulevard. Mm. I mean, hardly any at all. And This is, I'm talking rush hour, St. Patrick's Day yesterday. It's deserted. I mean, everything's closed. All of the casinos closed for 30 days minimum. In Las Vegas, happened once before, and only for one day. The day after JFK assassinate, assassination, they closed for one day, but they were open the very next day. Um, this is 30 days minimum. Hotels are closed. I mean, everything. The entire property is closed. Drove through Prairie Meadows yesterday on our way to Claxton's and thought we'd drive down uh, uh, Prairie Meadows Drive there, which mm-hmm. is um, you know right between Adventureland, the the campground, and the the tracks parking lot. They've got barricades up. You can't even get into the parking lot. Oh, really? Uh, at Prairie Meadows, yeah. Um, it's just just a different world out there, and you know the casinos in Vegas. That's really I mean, and it had sunk into me earlier. But when you see those hotels completely dark in Las Vegas, the Strip with a nobody walking. And B, no traffic. It's eerie. Weird. I, and the the barricades, I mean, it just, it gives that feeling of, when you said that, it just the, the memory and the thought process and something we've talked about before going back to 9-11 and just how quickly things changed and how quickly change, things are changing here all around us at all times. And I saw Fairway today, they uh, made yes. the decision that they're going to have the first hour that they're open each and every morning is mm-hmm. going to be dedicated for people that are compromised people that are of the elderly age, and that's going to be something that they're going to be doing for the foreseeable future. It just continues on and on and on. We have that going on, and then we have the NFL world and, and the back and forth and dichotomy between the two. That break from just just when you go through it, when you look at it, it, it gets it gets scary. And there are times last night where I got deep down to a hole. I, I was reading article after article after article. You get that pit in your stomach and said, all right, I got to break free. And so I downloaded a stupid game to my phone, and I played some mindless <laughs> game for a good half hour just to forget about everything. Yeah, um, a lot of people are um, redecorating the house this afternoon. <laughs> and I'm actually, well, we're not. I mean, I, I don't know what that's going to entail, but that to me would be torture. Um, you know, any other time of my life up until this one. But I just, I'm going to turn the TV off and... We're going to move it here. I'm going to move a few tours, and we won't like it here, so we'll move it back over there. But um, you know, anyways, yeah, it's totally right, Trent. It's just uh, just something that no one ever uh, has lived through in our lives, and 
hopefully once we get through this, uh, never will, no one will ever have to again, but who knows. Let's get back to the playground of life yeah, and back into sports. And some of the other uh, wheeling and dealing going on, Ken, you know for the last couple of years, I'm a big Jameis guy. I, I believe that mm-hmm. the, there is somebody out there that can they can get to that potential, that they can break through. Is he a guy that is going to win a Super Bowl? I don't know about that. I just think there is enough talent inside of that guy that with the right system and with the right coach, you're going to be talking about a guy that can lead you a 12-4 and four season. It can put up big numbers, and not big numbers, including interception. That guy is in there. I'm hopeful. I don't know in terms of what it would take for the Chicago Bears, my team that I root for to get him, but that's what I'm rooting mm-hmm. for. Andy Dalton, no thank you. Uh, some no. of the other quarterbacks, just that isn't a difference for me between them and Mitchell Trubisky. Jameis Winston, that's a huge difference in my mind. I, I'm with you, Trent. I think that would make sense, although I, mean, I just watched the Patriots uh, you know, slip in and, and take him and, and turn him into Tom Brady. Wouldn't that just be yes. like them to do that? And he had the LASIK surgery right. uh, within the last couple of, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I remember that story broke. I don't know exactly when it was, but he's, you know, he's had his eye problem now fixed. And they're crediting, you know, with his, uh, with his fixed vision that maybe, you know, some of those decisions that look like the right decision uh, through impaired vision might now, uh, uh, might, not, um, might not happen going forward. I, I'm with you. I, I certainly feel a Bears fan. You need a quarterback. He's on the list. What about Cam Newton? I mean, Bridgewater's there now. Joe Brady's going to take him. Of course, Brady's the quarterback whisperer that turned Joe Burrow into Joe Burrow when he was at LSU. And Brady's now on the Carolina staff, so he's going to be uh, entrusted with taking Teddy Bridgewater to the next level. I'll be honest, I'm rooting for Bridgewater. I think you are, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even just this the way it ended for him in Minnesota. So, it was career ending. It could have been worse than that, but here he is, and he's going to finally get his opportunity. But Cam Newton's going to be available. I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on Cam Newton because Trent, 2015, this was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, right? Took Carolina to that incredible season, only to have it ended uh, in the Super Bowl um, in Santa Clara by the Broncos in Super Bowl 50. But injuries the last couple of years clearly something that you have to take into consideration. But man. Cam Newton, I still think, has got something left. And here's why I like these kind of quarterbacks. These quarterbacks that have had some injuries, that haven't been able to be the player that they once were not too long ago, that show up with that I'll-prove-it kind of attitude, chip on their shoulder. I think Cam Newton can still play in the league, and I'm anxious to see if you think he can play for your team. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And I remember when, at the end of the season, there was plenty of speculation about Cam Newton, his future in Carolina. He was not real happy yesterday when it was announced that he's free to explore the trade. I'm sure you saw that tweet, Ken, though yep. it was very difficult to read. What what font he was using, what in the world that was all about. But, but that aside, I think he can still play. Now, is he going to be a guy? Because with Cam Newton, you're talking about a player with immense physical tools. This is a guy with the huge arm, with the big size, with the speed to go along with it. He is a guy that is a physical specimen. Now he's going to have to be more of a mental quarterback. He's going to have to get by with grit Mm -hmm. and guile and know-how and understanding the game, those types of things. He's certainly smart enough to be that kind of guy, but is he willing? And for so many players, regardless of sport, that have those kind of things and have to retool on the fly and have to change the kind of player that they are, there are a lot of those stars that can't do that, that just can't Mm -hmm. become that kind. And that, to me, remains the biggest question. 
he's not going to have the same arm that he once did. After the shoulder surgeries that he's gone through, he's not going to have those frozen ropes to the outside just on a line 25 yards. Those aren't going to be happening anymore. But if he can go and reinvent himself, absolutely. There's enough in the tank there still that I would be incredibly excited with Cam Newton in a Bears uniform. No, I'm with you, Trent, and I think it makes sense. I think that that's something to watch. I mean, he came in the league, uh, it wasn't even 10 years ago, right? He's nine yeah. years uh, after Auburn, and he's still a relatively young guy. He's still, oh, God, I don't know, is he 30 yet? If he is 30, he's just turned 30. Um, so he's still got some time left, and, you know, he's, he's one of the few options. If they're bound and determined to move on from Mitchell Trubisky, and it certainly seems like they are, they kick the tires on Foles. I'm not sure that there's a trade there. and Maybe they're just waiting out Jacksonville. Maybe when the quarterback carousel stops and they're stuck with both Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles, they're going to – I mean, they just might cut Nick Foles. It might come down to that. We've seen teams do that time and time again. Um, but if you, if you do want your guy – and the, the carousel, I mean, it's, it's spinning. Maybe Cam Newton makes a ton of sense. Maybe Winston, as you said. I'm with you, though. I think Winston, well, not, maybe not, because I like Cam Newton. I, either one of those guys, I, I think there's an upgrade for Mitchell Trubisky, and those two look like the favorites to me. I'm with you, Trent. When Andy Dalton's name was floated out there a couple of weeks ago, it was like, mm. you know, he's, he's okay and everything, but is he really that much of an upgrade um, from what we've got? And you know, we'll see, but I think you're going to see. I think that this question is going to be answered here very quickly. I uh, have one more NFL thing for you. Did you see yesterday the mayor of Buffalo as he took yeah. the podium? I ha- I have to find the sound clip because it is absolutely yeah. incredible. If you listen, if you miss this, he gets up there and basically <laughs> talking about, of course, what's going on in the world and everything <laughs> around it, and what Buffalo is doing to combat things. But what does he do? He talks about Bills fans celebrating Tom Brady's exit from the Patriots. It's just absolutely incredible, and and that's knowing your constituents there, understanding yeah. who he's talking to. No, he's preaching to the choir there, Trent. No doubt about it. And he's right that the Bills fans do want to celebrate the fact that Tom Brady's no longer going to reside in the AFC. But we warned you. Know, obviously, we're paraphrasing here, but he talked about that, and he said, "I know that you're going to want to go out and celebrate." That news that came our way today, but be cautious and stay inside and don't even let that be a reason for you to, you know, to go out and do something with, uh, with in, in a crowd of people. No, it was, it was great, Trent, and you're right. You knew exactly who he was talking to, uh, and that was some, uh, that was some comedy relief in an otherwise incredibly serious topic. Yeah, we'll play that a little bit later, later on in the program. I'll, I'll get the audio clip of it because it is just incredible and a little bit of levity and a little bit of humor at a time like this. That can be a yeah, good thing. We can still laugh. We can still have fun in this world. No, it's needed, Trent. Hundred percent right. It was uh, it was a great piece, and, and when I saw it, I, uh, I I certainly like everybody. Right, you, you laughed at that, and good for the Bills. So, uh, one final thing, uh, kind of wrapping back around where we started the conversation: two thousand two Iowa football. That was the year that I made my first ever road trip to a real road trip. I've been to Minnesota. How many games did you see? Didn't you see a bunch of them? <sighs> Let's see. Let me run through the schedule. I was at every home game that year. Didn't go out to Oxford, Ohio, to Miami, Ohio, though I had talked about it. I was actually in Wisconsin that weekend visiting family. But every okay. home game, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven of them, I was okay. at, let's see, Michigan Stadium for the Michigan game. 
Mm-hmm. I was at the Metrodome for the final game of the regular season. I was at the Orange Bowl. So I made up 10 of the 13. Not too bad. 10 of the 13 that Doc, season. Did you didn't go to Penn State that year? That wasn't the nope, year? No, that wasn't the year. No, the, the first year that I was out there was 2009. That was the whiteout game with the rain all day long in Iowa with the mm-hmm. block punt and Adrian Claiborne. That was the first time I'd have been out, ever been out to State College. So 10 out of 13 isn't bad. Now, looking back, I wish I would have went to all 13 of them. Yeah, no doubt. You know who else was on that team that, uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, we haven't brought his name up. I don't think yesterday when we were previewing this uh, this team today, our quick tour down memory lane, Nate Kading, we never bring yeah. him up. And yeah. the role that he played on that team, Trent, was just remarkable. Didn't he not kick a long, long field goal in the Penn, was it Penn State or Michigan? One of those games. He kicked a massive field goal, I remember. But, uh, no, he had a huge role on that team. He was, and he's a guy, it's funny looking back. And Kirk, I know sometimes it annoys some fans when he goes back and harkens back to old teams and things that happened 15, 20 years ago, sometimes even longer than that. I appreciate it. I'm right there with you. Maybe that's uh, kind of our age starting to show through a little bit because of that. But Kading, he's one of the few special teamers that he brings up, and he always talks about him in the line of, not was he a great kicker, he talks about that, but also what kind of leader he was. And a leadership quality out of a kicker, you don't hear that one very often. No, you really don't. And then obviously went on to have a really good uh, NFL career with the exception of, uh, you know, he's remembered for his misses, sadly, in the playoffs, as a lot of, uh, a lot of kickers are. But, man, he had a terrific run uh, in San Diego and was a terrific Hawkeye. You know, if Iowa doesn't lose the Iowa State game, there, there's a lot of people that believe – a 12-0 Iowa team would have been selected over Ohio State to play in the national championship game against Miami. Uh, we, you can play that game all day long. I would say if they didn't lose that Iowa State game, I don't know if they hold on against Penn State. I don't know if they're able mm-hmm. to right the no, ship after point. giving up that huge lead. Some of the other games, Purdue, it felt like they learned how to win and the momentum carried on from that one. So you can get into it, but let's, for argument's sake, they're 12-0 at the end of the regular season. Ohio State's limping through. Craig Krenzel's throwing garbage ducks up, and David Boston's going up and, and making plays and, uh, to beat was it, Purdue in that game. I remember getting updates from somebody in the student section back behind us uh, at, the, at the game. I think it was the Northwestern game when that one was going on. But regardless of that, and do you think they would have got picked over Ohio State? Because just in my mind, I can't envision. I understand you had Trev Alberts. He was... He was running through Iowa and just how they were better in Ohio State. Mark May, the Hawkeyes are better than Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I just still can't envision it. No, Trent, it's, it's a great debate, right? It's, it's the Ohio State brand. But, you know, at the time, the, uh, the Hawkeyes had a legitimate uh, Heisman candidate. Would that have, you know, in Brad Banks, would that have helped in, uh, in, in any debate which team could go? I mean, Banks, Krenzel. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you're, if you're talking about the quarterback battle, right? I don't know. It's, 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 it's good fodder. Um, hard to say. We we'll never know because they did lose to Iowa State. Yes, and and that's always going to be there. They were number three in the AP in the coaches poll going into the bowl game that season. We're going to dive into a deep coming up on the other side as we will take a look through every single game. We got a highlight from each and one of those. Talk about memories, your favorite moments. You can join us as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Miller and Condon, and we'll talk about your thoughts and, and times back in 2002. Our rewind today, 2002 Iowa football. Ken, thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you again later in the program. Okay, Trent. Ken Miller with us here on Miller and Condon as we come back. 1460 KXNO and now 106. Fullerdental.net. 
Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome to Nellyville. We're all newborn. Get a half a meal. Get Welcome back. It's 2002. And our rewind. Nelly, your number one song as we get ready for the football season of 02. There you go. Dilemma. Featuring Kelly Rowland. Oh, this song. What a banger. Uh, We're having some fun here today. So each and every day, we're taking a rewind through the great seasons in the state of Iowa. Yesterday, our look back at the 99-2000 Iowa State basketball team. You can find the podcast of that one today, 2002, with my boo. Unbelievable. Kelly Rowland, Nelly Dilemma. There it is, the number one song of 2002 in the Iowa football team. Let's get into it here. As I remember in college, having fun, drinking a little too much, maybe a lot too much, depending on who you ask, doing my thing, and going to Iowa football games. Now, one of my buddies, Graham, reminded me that I missed a game that season. That's right. Yes, I did miss a game in Kinnick Stadium that year as my stepbrother, Jamie, and my now sister-in-law, Tracy, were getting married that day. So that was one that I missed. I believe that was 2002. Maybe that, no, that was a different one. Regardless, there was a wedding that day. There was a wedding that day. I missed the Michigan State game and missed the kick return for Jamel Lewis. We will get to that game, but I made nine of the 13 games that year, including the Orange Bowl. It was an incredible season. Coming into the year, expectations, not overly high. Iowa had broken through the year previous. They got to 6-5 and five in the regular season. They won the bowl game against Texas Tech. That's where Kirk Ferentz was on the stage and proclaimed that Iowa football is back. And still, there was no thoughts of a Big Ten championship outside of the most ardent Hawkeye fans. A good team, sure, but a team that can do what they did. 8-0 for the first time ever in Big Ten history for the Iowa program. That was not part of the thought process. As Iowa got started that year, they were no votes in the coaches' poll. Receiving votes is all in the AP poll. That is all they have, or vice versa. Receiving votes in the coaches, no votes at all in the AP poll. In fact, it took them all the way until week seven before they were ranked in both polls. It took that long for this team to get there. And, of course, the leading to that was what they did uh, with the wins against Penn State and Purdue back-to-back to find them get them into the national rankings. Also before the year, Benny Sapp, who was expected to be a starter at cornerback. A lot of pub about him. He got off to a nice start in his career. He was arrested, and he was kicked off the team. Ended up at the University of Northern Iowa. Played at UNI, leaving the Hawkeyes with two freshman cornerbacks. Jovan Johnson on one side, a true freshman, and Antoine Allen, a redshirt freshman, on the other side. As the season began, they take on Akron in the first game, and maybe, just maybe, this is a harbinger of things to come, the run game, and what they were able to do. So looking for daylight, picking his hole well, to the 30, the 25, he may break it, Russell goes all the way, Iowa touchdown. You want to see some good footwork? I think Fred made four guys miss on that run. That's a great, great run. Wayne Larvey on the call. ESPN Plus Iowa throttles Akron in game one and did it by scoring points. 57-21, the final in that one. 37 points in the first quarter. Larry Morgan and Marv Cook on the call there with ESPN Plus. Game two, they go on the road. And one of the few road games you're going to see anymore 
at least in recent history, as Iowa goes on the road to a Mac school. Miami of Ohio. We talk about Ben Roethlisberger seeing what he did. He threw the ball 51 times in the game, threw for 343 yards, but two interceptions. Iowa does enough, and they hold on for the 29-24 victory against the Red Hawks. 2-0, feeling good, and Iowa State coming to town. At this point, Iowa State had reeled off a couple of victories in a row, but it felt like the time, at least from the Iowa perspective. The time was now that Iowa was going to get off the schneid. They were going to end the losing streak. They were going to bounce back. National TV for this one with ESPN2. And it was going great in the first half. You're up 24-7. You're rolling through. But the second half came. A meltdown against Iowa State in the second half. Lakers to him. Billets almost coming with the safety blitz. They knock it free from Banks again. Recovered by Iowa State. Tim to break the nose guard. This had to be unthinkable for the Iowa fans to see a 24-7 halftime lead maybe evaporate in about 11 minutes. To the end zone. Danielson. Not quite in. He's a foot away. So it's an inch and a half away, and this time they give to the fullback and a touchdown for Joe Woodley, and Iowa State leads. And now a chance to keep the Hawkeyes pinned back in the shadow of their own goal. Good to Aaron Gregor, who is caught in the end zone. Safety! He didn't get out, absolutely. And there's the call from ESPN2. Is 36-31 the final Iowa's only loss of the regular season comes against their rival, Iowa State. From there, they come back a week later. It's Utah State on the docket. In fact, an interesting note about this game, as they led the week before 24-7, also led 24-7 at the half against Utah State. The second half, though, no, there would be no comeback from the Yankees if Utah State, as they put it on them, ran away with it. And another great highlight. Here's Jermel Lewis. How about that name? And what could have been for this guy, a dynamic runner? And Hinkle wide to the near side of the field. C.J. Jones wide to the far side. Jermel Lewis is alone on the running back. And he's asked to carry the football. And he finds daylight. He may break it. He may go all the way. 30, 20, 10. Touchdown, Jermel Lewis, 75 yards. I don't think he was touched. I was 3-1 after the victory against Utah State, the non-portion, non-conference portion of the schedule is complete, but next up, it's a road trip to Penn State. Penn State, 12-0 on the season, 3-0 on the year. They're ranked 12th. They're playing really well, and then Iowa comes in and just puts it to them right away. The Hawkeyes jump out to a 23-0 lead in the first half against the Nittany Lions. It was domination, including this play, maybe play of the year. Ed Hinkle laying out. Third down and nine. Penn State puts him into the end zone for Hinkle. Touchdown! He caught it! How he caught that, how he got an elbow down in the end zone is still absolutely incredible. We saw a lot of that out of Ed Hinkle throughout his career. 23-0, they're cruising along, everything's looking great. But here comes Penn State. 22 unanswered points in the fourth quarter, forcing overtime, 35-35, and after... The meltdown against Iowa State in the second half. What's happening here, it felt like this was going to be another one that has slipped away for Iowa. Another huge opportunity. One against Iowa State to end the losing streak. This one against Penn State to go on the road and beat the 12th ranked team in the country. Overtime comes, though, 
and Iowa has different ideas. Thanks. Touchdown, Jones. Mills looks the other way. Incomplete. That's the ball game. The Hawkeyes storm into Happy Valley and steal one from the Nittany Lions in overtime. Great game, 42-35. Iowa holds on, gets it done in overtime. The play again by C.J. Jones. Find him room in the middle of the field. Love that offense. They averaged 37 points per game. They were 7th in the country in scoring offense. Yes, Iowa, under Kirk Ferentz, was 7th in the country in scoring offense. I know it's hard to believe. We got C.J. Jones and Mo Brown on the outside. You got Dallas Clark as a receiver, two dynamic running backs, and Fred Russell and Jermu Lewis in the best offensive line in the country. You're going to go a long, long ways. Up next, though, was one of the most interesting games of the season Purdue. Purdue was good at the time. Taylor had them revved. A good defensive team also. And I think that's something when people talk about the Purdue teams of Tiller and the best teams, people miss just how good they were on the other side. Brock Spack, that guy in that mustache, they knew how to coach up some D over there. Early on, Dallas Clark. I mentioned it earlier, our first highlight from the Mackey Award winner. With three-step drop complete to Dallas Clark. Still in bounds and still on his feet and on the move. Dallas Clark, 95 yards. Sometimes you got to be a little bit lucky. In this game, Purdue is looking to go up by 14. They're leading 14-3 in the first half. There's a block kick as they're lining up for a short field goal. It's blocked by Bob Sanders. Antoine Allen picks it up, runs it 85 yards, and instead of being down 14, they're down just four. Then later in the game, early in the second half, Jameer Roberts recovers a block punt in the end zone to give Iowa the lead. Then that play that we just heard, 95 yards out of your tight end, out of three-step drop. This wasn't a couple of safeties ran into each other and fell over. It was a three-step drop, a short out pattern to Dallas Clark. He beats one guy, gets to the outside, and his speed beats him into the end zone. Purdue came roaring back, back-to-back scores. They lead it 28-24 with under five minutes to play. And then a beautiful drive from the Iowa offense. There was a great draw play in there for Brad Banks. Was there a huge holding? Yes, there was. Iowa got away with the hold in that one. They're going down, and they get inside the 15-yard line, inside the 10. They can't move the football. As we go inside of a minute, they're not moving the football. It comes down to this, fourth down. Solomon and Brown. That's Brown in motion. Purdue in an all-out blitz. And a man coverage. Banks has caught. Touchdown! Another absolutely wild element as we're rewinding back to the 2002 Iowa team is during this time in Kinnick Stadium, there were, your feet are on the ground if you're in the end zone seating. You're, you're literally standing there. I've sat in those seats before. It's fun being that close to the action. They're not the best seats, but the way that people, they didn't have any ropes up. They didn't have a bunch of security guards standing in the way. And after all of these touchdowns, it is a mob, not of the teammates jumping together, of fans jumping on these players. Go back and watch that. It's a memory that, for whatever reason, I had put to the recesses of my mind. There are 10, 15, 20, 30 people hopping around with Dallas Clark after he scores that. Fans on the field. Joe Tiller, he was pointing, saying, there's got to be a flag on that. No flag. 
Iowa gets it done, but it wasn't over. Purdue made their way right down the field, and a name on well, some circles will be remembered for a long time seals it for the Hawkeyes. Harris looking at Stubblefield, has him, uh, and it's picked off! Adolphus Shelton! Through the arms of the usually dependable Stubblefield! Adolphus Shelton. After the game, my buddy Bisgard said that his first name son was going to be Adolphus. Alas, that didn't happen. I still give him crap about that. In fact, I need to call his son Adolphus a little bit more. It didn't happen, but Iowa gets it done. Adolphus Shelton, they were going with eight defensive backs. Adolphus Shelton was a guy from Florida, didn't play, tried running back, tried receiver. He was out there as a defensive back. They moved him all over the place. They couldn't find a home for him. He found a home in that moment. Office of Stubbefield, the deflection and the win, 31-28. And I think this was a time I was outplayed most of this day by Purdue. It was one of the loudest environments I remember. Only 68,000 on hand that day. It was not a sellout for homecoming at Kinnick Stadium. But that was the one where people started to believe something special might be happening with this Iowa football team. They return home again the following week. This time it's Michigan State coming to town. It was a dominating performance. They got down early in the football game, came back. It was Jermel Lewis with a big kick return. Derek Peggle making plays. In fact, let's go to the man from Nashua Plainfield. Smoker picked off again. Peggle. And he could go. Touchdown, Hawkeyes. Jeff Smoker with the interception. Derek Pegel runs it back. Iowa leads 27-7 at the half and wins it 44-16. Led in that game 44-7 against Michigan State. Indiana after that. And this was one that I personally, as a fan, worried about the look-ahead look factor. Looking ahead with Michigan on deck next. What was going to happen against this Indiana team? Tricky spot, Memorial Stadium. It wasn't a good Indiana team. Indiana was 3-3. and Iowa was better, but we've seen it so many times in the past in football. You have that look ahead. You're going to be caught peeking ahead to Michigan in a program like Iowa that is building at that time. Alas, it doesn't happen. Big play, Mo Brown. Good field position for the Hawkeyes, protecting a 17-6 lead. Banks on the roll. And a man wide open. Broken coverage, and Indiana will be able to not catch up. Touchdown, Mo Brown. No worry about a letdown. 24-8 the final in that one. Iowa goes on the road and gets the victory. Up next, the Michigan Wolverines. A road trip. My first big road trip as a fan. Number 13, Iowa. Number 8, Michigan. We'll take a look back as we come back. On the other side, Miller and Condon. We're taking our deep dive, our rewind. Through the great seasons in the sports history. Today, 2002, Iowa, the Michigan Avenue in Des Moines. Look, if you had one shot, one opportunity. We're rewinding once again back to 2002, the Iowa football team here in our state of Iowa. Rewind. Welcome back. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. As we continue, we are to, at that point, the biggest game of the year for Iowa football. They'd reeled off a couple of tough victories against Penn State, against Purdue, how they did it. Well, some people will never know, but they got it done. They go to Michigan, but before that, a guy quits the team. Aaron Greving, who is the third running back, not getting a whole lot of carries, 
he quits the team the week of that game. I'm getting ready to make my first road trip. We're taking a crappy bus out to Michigan, going with 15, 20 guys out there. Great time. We're getting ready for that. Aaron Grevin's going, oh, boy, this is going to hurt the Hawks. Well, it didn't hurt the Hawks because the way they played in this game, unbelievable. They come out right away. This is a good Michigan team, and they punch the Wolverines in the nose. Here's the jailbreak screen again, and C.J. Jones has room. And no one between him and the end zone. Touchdown. 39 yards for the score. The Hawkeyes lead. A bubble screen that easily could have been picked off and taken the other way for six. But C.J. Jones finds just enough room and wiggles his way in for the end zone. Jump out to a 10-0 lead due to the Hawkeyes in this one. Michigan comes back, scores 10-6. And then late in the half, another field goal made a 10-9. During that half, though, the punter David Bradley dropped a snap coming back to him. Gave Michigan great field position. That's where they got one of their scores. In a half where Iowa felt like they dominated, they only let it by a point, 10-9. But the second half comes, and this is where the onslaught happens. It starts again to begin the third quarter with C.J. Jones. And then it became not the Fred Russell show, not the guy going back to Inkster, Michigan, seeing all his hometown friends and family. I met Fred's brother before the game. I towered over him. Remember, I'm five foot seven. That dude's a little dude. His dad, his brother was even smaller. Met the family. It was a great time, but it was even better after this. Jermel Lewis in for six. Third and 11. A little shovel pass to Lewis. Gets a great block from Jones. Touchdown, Iowa. Iowa into the top 10. A shovel pass there for Jermel Lewis. Iowa. Wins it 34-9. I still have the newspaper article. It doesn't get any worse than this. Iowa hands Michigan one of their worst losses in Michigan Stadium history. It was a good one. It was Wisconsin after that. Again, slow start in this one for the Hawkeyes. But one of the most beautiful play calls you're going to find. You heard a lot during this highlight package. Bubble screens. They go to the bubble screen, jailbreak screen, whatever you want to call it. They're tossing it out there. The tunnel screen. Getting it to the wide receiver. Finally, and I've been asking for it for a long time. They fake the tunnel screen, and Brad Banks, he had two options, two guys wide open on the fake. Banks over 200 yards today passing, third and seven. They run the jailbreak screen, Clark, touchdown, Iowa! Two quarterbacks injured, four Wisconsin in this game. Brooks Bollinger and Jim Sorgi each were hurt in the game. A dominating performance from the off, uh, from the defense, 20-3, to and this is the time not only was the offense playing well as they had seemingly all season long, but the defense was picking it up with Roth and Babineau and that front. What they were doing on the back end with Bob Sanders and those cornerbacks, those freshmen we talked about early, they were growing up. 20-3 to is the final. Iowa in the top 10 with that one. Senior day, the last game in Kinnick Stadium. One of the best moments from that one, of course, was what we saw as the offensive lineman. The four seniors and one junior with Robert Gallery, but them coming off the field late in that game, all with their hands clasped together as they do a swarm with those five guys coming off the field. Just an incredible moment as Iowa dominates 62-10. It finishes up, up in the roller dome, and yes, this is the infamous game. This is the one where the goalposts were taken down. Another one. I had seats right behind the Iowa bench. I was one of the first people on the field after the game running down there and being a goober and being an idiot 22-year-old. It was incredible, unbelievable. I was 11-1. and 
we're going to the Rose Bowl. Well, we're not going to the Rose Bowl, fans. And said, it is the Orange Bowl. We're running short on time here. This is one I could go even deeper into. We finish up with the Orange Bowl. And well, let's bring you the highlight from that Orange Bowl. Ryan Colleen is set to kick off. A junior college transfer brought in for kickoffs. But since the third game, he does it all. And deep for Iowa, number 8, C.J. Jones, number 29, Jermel Lewis. Jones averages 22 yards a return. Iowa won the toss and is receiving. This is Jones. Got a gap. He's got a blocker. Across the 30. Midfield. Look out. C.J. Jones. See you later. No flags. 100 yards. The scene in the stadium, unlike anything I'd ever seen before in a quote-unquote neutral field. 48,000 Iowa fans descending down in an incredible environment. Alas, too much USC. We're out of time. This is what we're going to revisit. 2002 Iowa football in our Rewind Hour 2.